Hello everyone, welcome back to Through the Eyes of a Therapist with Crystal Martinez Acosta. I'm a licensed professional counselor and this podcast is all about mental health. And so today we have a special guest and her name is Amber Banda. Hello. Hi, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So um, today we're going to be having a discussion about mental health. Uh, specifically anorexia, right? And eating disorders, a little bit of depression, depression, history of trauma. I guess uh, I want to cover the mental health part of anorexia and disordered eating and body dysmorphic disorder. I think this is going to be a really full podcast, so we might cut this into two episodes. Amber has a really interesting story, and I think it's awesome that she's being so candid about it and she's brave enough to come onto the show and let everybody know what her story is. So we're going to go ahead and get started with getting to know Amber. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, Well, my name's Amber Banda. I'm 32 years old. I have two daughters, Alina and Aviva. One's 12, one's two. Um, I am a nutrition coach. I do personal training and I also teach group fitness classes. I have a passion mainly for bodybuilding, building muscle, losing body fat. My health coaching consists of not only, you know, what to eat, when to eat it, you know, focusing people on their goals, but also the mental part, which a lot of people leave out. How, how do you get started on this journey? How do you stay motivated? Because motivation doesn't last. So how do you keep going? Uh, my group classes, one of them that I teach is called BYOB baby wearing workout (laughs) before people get twisted yeah so it's not like BYOB bring your own (laughs) I mean I guess you could I wouldn't recommend it because you're wearing your baby while you're working out but (laughs) yeah and you'll probably like dehydrate yeah that's probably not good if they're breastfeeding but (laughs) oh my god especially that yeah let's not (laughs) well I mean I've heard that beer does help you produce but that's for another podcast (laughs) okay sure yeah when we talk about maybe uh post-birth issues Talk about beer and And lactation. Yeah, lactation. That's great. But well, that's one of the classes I teach, and I also teach cardio kickboxing. I teach cycling. Um, I me myself and another coach teach a boot camp. And right now, my client load is about twenty to twenty-five clients combined with nutrition coaching and personal training. Awesome. That's great. So I think that we also need to get a little bit of your history. So if you don't mind telling us a little bit about why you do what you do, what led you to become a trainer and a nutrition expert? Going right for the meat and potatoes. Yes. Okay. (laughs) I'll mess around. No. No no pussyfooting around. Straight to the point. (laughs) I got it. I guess I'll start because, I mean, I think some of my past trauma started when I was born. Um, Before I was born, actually. I was actually given up for adoption. My mom, uh, I just found out recently that she uh, had her whole pregnancy through the um, one of the local, I guess, orphanages. I'm not sure if that's the right term for it, but uh, she pretty much had her pregnancy, I guess, cared for through there because, I, like I said, I was going to be given up for adoption. At the last minute, what happened is the couple that was going to adopt me found out that there was a history of autism in our family, so they basically gave me back. Oh my <laughs> so I stayed with my mom. Oh, um, yeah, and my grandma was a big part of that. You know, she, and the reason I bring her up is because she was very, uh, whoo, as smart and as fierce as she was, she was a stout Republican. She did a lot of political campaigning. I remember always going with her, drawing the little drawings or whatever uh, for her uh, political 
things. And um, so I we grew up living with them. It was my mom, my grandma, and my grandpa. And so I remember when my mom was in nursing school, my grandma was always telling me, you know, your mom's out being a slut. She's going to go to jail. You're going to end up, you know, an orphan or whatever. So, um, yeah. And you know what? I just want to add there. I think, first of all, thanks for telling us all of that. I think it's really important that you bring up early childhood trauma because I think something that we kind of mentioned in the last podcast or the last episode also is that trauma is possible before birth and in utero. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Um, and that can really impact uh, the genetic makeup of you know the fetus or the baby and then also um all the stress that mom's going through they're being bathed in all these hormones right that the mom is excreting because of the whole like stress stress thing yeah and i've also heard that happiness is 50 percent genetic so well, I got another, I got fifty percent chance. Of... Like we're we're all kind of like screwed here. Yeah, I mean, like every every family has their own stuff. Um, and yeah. I think that yeah, like for for me for sure, there's some genetic components to my mental disorder as well. Yeah. But um, I I just wanted to add that little part about early oh, childhood trauma, and I think that because you're a resilient person, like you you're here, you're alive, you're 32 yeah. years old, like you've made it, you're a productive member. Of I can society. finally say I'm happy good and you're happy (laughs) you see and so I think that although you've had some things in your past that should have been like oh you know what like you could have been a statistic of some sort not been resilient because of the things that happened to you you made it through so that's really good that's an awesome thing oh thank you Yeah. yeah I can and it's funny because I didn't realize how a lot of these things might have affected me until maybe the past couple years looking back now that I do have a better I guess mental health but uh, aside from my grandma, I used to be very good at dance. I mean, I was number one in my ballet class. I excelled at school. You know, it wasn't hard for me to get A's. It wasn't hard. I, I, I caught on to reading like that and, and math and all the good stuff. All the And the, I, I mentioned this for a reason. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in a little bit. But when I was uh, eight years old, I was uh, sexually abused by someone that was rather close to our family. I kept it a secret for a really long time. Uh, I, I did tr- try telling my grandpa at one time because we used to be really close and uh, he basically told me I was lying. So I, you know, he was afraid of it. You know, he, he it was shocking to him. So I, I you know, I, I played it off. I was like, no, no, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Because he was so, oh my God, you're lying. You have to be lying. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm lying, grandpa, you know, because I... I was like, ooh. His so reaction. His reaction was... Something about it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I didn't want to, f- I guess, freak him out. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, our relationship got kind of strained after that. After that happened, um, I stopped dancing. I became a class clown, kind of. I mean, I was still getting good grades, but my attitude was a little different. I, I'm, I'm not sure how long afterward, but this man that, I did th- that had done this to me, he killed himself. And he... Uh, when I Again, when I was 15, so I was already, I think, I believe... Well, when I was a freshman, I want to say, in high school, uh, another close family friend uh, tried to make some sexual advances on me, and I, you know, I stopped him. You know, he told me, keep this quiet, because, you know, we have a, we have a child together, him and, again, my cousin that he was with, this is another man. Oh. So, uh, finally, I kind of got tired of my family, you know, I guess, talking so grand about the first guy. He, the guy, the first guy had a daughter. You know, and when when he molested me, he used to do it under her crib. She was getting older, and after this second man, who was now her stepdad, tried to make these advances on me, I said, I got to tell someone because he's going to try this with her when she gets older. Oh, okay. 
so, um, so you're looking out for her and you wanted to stop it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I guess I didn't love myself enough to say something for me, but for her, I, I wanted to keep her safe. It was really bothering me. So I finally told my aunt who told my cousin who, you know, this was, the, this was her daughter I was trying to protect. And, um, you know, at first it was, I'm sorry, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, let me comfort you. And then it was Amber's a liar. So mm-hmm. let's move cities you know and and it wasn't until many years later that this man that i was trying to protect my little cousin from admitted that he was doing stuff to her and so i really had a lot of i guess resentment towards my you know my cousin her mom you know like i i guess in a way that was closure but i still kind of felt numb about it and then so my family moved uh and then for a long time i suffered with depression anorexia suicidal thoughts i used to cut myself a lot and i guess with the anorexia towards the uh towards the end of my junior year it got so bad uh that my aunts kind of told my mom that i needed an intervention Mm -hmm. so you know they all brought me in they were you know they were concerned about my eating and my mom i think at the time was in denial and so they took me to a rehab place i don't remember the name why well, i can't i won't say the name but it was in las cruces or mesilla i want to say okay so it was like local sort of and when i got there i was under the impression that i was just going to go to see a doctor you know mm-hmm. get a checkup whatever so i go in there and it's not like a regular doctor's office and they're asking me who's the president of the united states mm-hmm. what year is it I'm like, um, I don't even remember if I answered the question right. I guess I mustn't have because at the end of it all, they're like, um, we need your shoes and your shoelaces. You're being admitted. I was like, uh, what? What? Excuse me? (laughs) So they were, they were evaluating you and they did, they asked you those kinds of questions. That's called a mental status exam. Oh, I guess I failed. (laughs) Right. Because it sounds like it had gotten to a point where even other family members started to notice. And yeah. so they said something to your mom and they took action. Yeah. So then they were like, surprise, you're being admitted. That was the part that kind of threw me off. Uh, you know, I tried running. They locked the doors. And before I knew it, I was getting my hair searched, saying, "Here's, give me your shoes. Here's your garments. Mm-hmm. So it was like in a matter of one day, you know, I was in high school one day and the next day I was admitted into this place where... You had to stand in line to receive meds and you had to go to bed at a certain time and eat at a certain time. It was like, you know, it was, was, I mean, a part of me was kind of like, you know what, I'm mad, but I'm I'm relieved because I'm just so over this, this illness. Mm -hmm. And what happened there is I I tried eating and I, I, I ate maybe, I don't even want to give a calorie number, but I, I I know I wasn't eating enough. You know, I know that now. So I was basically dying. I mean, I remember they couldn't get my pulse up. So at one point, when I came out of the shower, one of the MTs, the medical technicians, jumped out and scared me. Ah! Mm-hmm. So that way she could get my pulse somewhat high. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, you know. So she finally got it. And I remember they had to wake me up at night to make sure I was still, my heart was still beating. And so they finally, t- I, I was losing weight, you know, that was one mistake that I guess they weren't trained for. They would let me see my weight, which is something that I, um, that I learned later on. You shouldn't do, you shouldn't, mm-hmm. uh, let the patient see their weight yet, I guess, until they're more stable. Yeah. If they're anorexic, they shouldn't be yeah. doing that. Okay. That's what, that's what I learned. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I was sent to a, a facility that was, I mean, one, uh, covered by my, my insurance, thank goodness. 
And two, it specialized in eating disorders. I mean, I think even famous people went there. Mm-hmm. You know, they did equine therapy, so it was therapy with horses, and, and everything was very regulated. Um, you had to finish everything on your plate. If you didn't, they gave you like a little supplement of boost. And if anyone doesn't know what boost is, it's kind of like what they use to help people gain weight. It's like a, a, a ready-made shake. Mm-hmm. So for us anorexics, that was like, oh, heck no. Yeah. Like, you avoided the boost at all costs. Yeah. And I remember one time I decided to take a chance. Remember, get, remember I'm, I'm anorexic at this point. So any calories are just traumatic. Yeah. So I get a ketchup packet mm-hmm. and I use half of it. And I'm like, I did it. I, 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 did, I, I, I ate a little bit extra calories, right? And so the MT, one of my favorite MTs actually, she was like, Amber, you didn't finish your ketchup packet. So you need some boost. Dude, I I lost it. Oh I I was screaming, I was yelling, I was throwing things, I was cussing, you know what I mean? And it got to the point where I needed an NG tube. So that's where they put a tube up your nose, into your stomach. <clears throat> they would hook it up at night to a machine that just fed you basically at night. Mm-hmm. So I was in rehab for a total of six months because I was in intensive care where they monitored everything for three months. And then I went to a less intensive care where I actually went to high school somewhere in Arizona, Chandler, Chandler, Arizona, where we were known as the anorexic girls in high school. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was great. That's interesting. And so, <laughs> so it's like they try to keep life as like as normal as possible. Like let's take you to school. Like, yeah. Do that kind of stuff. I guess yeah. like you wouldn't miss out too. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't too bad, you know, and then we'd go home and it wasn't as, as, uh, as, uh, monitored as, as the other place. And so when I come, came out of rehab, um, I ended up breaking up with the, with the guy that I was kind of seeing at the time because he was always depressed. Mm-hmm. And I guess breaking up with someone because they're so depressed had never occurred to me until I realized that I needed to get better. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of like the beginning of me putting myself first. Yeah. You know, he wasn't a bad guy. It just, I, I needed to get better. I couldn't go through that again. And so, um, literally the insurance wouldn't pay for it twice. Yeah. Oh, like <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Like, this is the last chance. We just need to stop. <laughs> we, yeah, we, we don't have the funds this. for you to be sick. Oh my gosh. That's <laughs> crazy. How funny. I think like, um, it's interesting how even little things that maybe we don't examine every day, like relationships with other people um even family relationships we don't get to choose our family it's kind of like you're born into it and that's it so like those things can definitely contribute to um mental health issues or even make things worse and so you had to do something called self-care and cut that tie yeah because it's like that's not healthy for you what surprised me when i was the fact that i realized that it was bad for me you know i was like huh been doing all these things so bad for me and now I finally realized when one's bad for me and I cut it off. Wow. You know yeah. what I mean? That's a big moment for somebody. I think like when you consciously understand, you have those insight moments, insightful moments where you're like, okay, this is bad. But then it takes guts, I think, to actually go through with it and be like, nope, yeah, we're not doing this. Oh, I mm-hmm. agree. I agree. And, and that's what recovery from anorexia is all about because it's not like alcoholism where you can completely abstain from it. You know, or, or a drug addiction. Not saying that those aren't hard to, to get over. Don't get me wrong. But with, I mean, you can't just quit food or you can't just eat as much as you want. You have to find like a medium. Yeah, they're different. They're a little different. Just the nature of like consumption and accessibility. Yeah, yeah all exactly. You know, food's not illegal. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, there's a McDonald's in every corner. Oh so my gosh. Yeah. Yep. 
So um, after that, about a year afterward, I got pregnant. Um, I was with this guy who ended up being very abusive. Um, and I remember we moved to San Marcos, so we weren't here against my mom's wishes, of course. And when I when he found out I was pregnant, he got a little bit more abusive. And I remember one time we got into a really bad argument and he uh, he tried to kill me. I remember he had a he had me in a chokehold and he put a knife to my side and he was going to stab me and then he started bawling like a baby on the floor and instead I guess he thought that I was going to go console him mm-hmm. but instead my pregnant butt ran out the door ran down the street in my pajamas no shoes looking for someone to help me there was no one so I ran into an empty garage for a bit and then I saw his truck leave so I was like oh good so I ran back what do I do? What do I do? And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go back in, get my keys and leave. So I walk in because his truck's not there, right? Yeah. I walk in. He's in there. He had gone to the back, hoping I would go back in, you know, so he, you know, did the whole, if you leave me, I'll kill you, blah, blah, blah. So I stayed for a couple months. I remember I spent a lot of nights in my car. I remember one time I even slept in the park. Mm -hmm. um, Just to not be around him. And then finally I was like, you know what? He went... Uh, Austin was about an hour away, uh, so he went to do something. I don't probably cheat on me. So I, I got in my car, drove back to El Paso, got a restraining order on him. I haven't heard from him. I don't want to know about him. I don't care if he's alive. His name's not on the birth certificate. Um, until finally, I met the the guy that I'm with now. We've been together for almost ten years, Angel. Mm-hmm. And of course, when we first started dating, you know, ups and downs. But I mean, he's just, he's amazing. Um, I got pregnant, um, with Lena and after I had her, I had a lot of postpartum anxiety, mm-hmm. not depression, but anxiety. I just, I didn't want to leave her. I, I, I just, when we were driving down the car, I, I just pictured like a pencil flying into the window and, and hitting or something, you know, like irrational kind of things, but it was bad. Really- worrisome bad Mm -hmm. and 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 what really got me not only that but like when i would read stories about i would cry myself to sleep Mm -hmm. for like a week so it would like trigger you very bad yeah i mean it always has just i guess because of my past Mm because not only do i sympathize i empathize yeah but really bad but out of that i was like you know what i started reading self-help books listening to motivational things i'm like i have to get out of this you know and and people don't usually make a big change like that until it's it's really really yeah. yeah So, um, you know, I started doing a lot of self-help, I guess. And from that was born the BYOB. Hey, I want to work out. I don't want to leave my baby. Let's go. I know there's other moms that have these problems or these issues too. I won't, I didn't, in the beginning I charged for the class and that went straight to to charities. Now I don't even charge for the class, you know, because that's, I feel like that's, I want to do this for them. And, um, because of the child abuse stories that hit me so hard, I remember one in particular, Baby Brianna, some people might remember. I won't go into it, but I was like, I need to do something. Like, I can't just complain about it and not do anything about it. Mm-hmm. So I started looking for different ways to volunteer. And right now, I'm currently um, on the board of, a, of a, a, an organization that does help children with open CPS cases. Um, you know, it's like everything happens for a reason. Uh, you know, and now I kind of, I've, 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 given speeches and I've, I've, I've uh, talked about my past and it's like the more I talk about it, it is therapeutic, but it helps me realize, you know, this, this, this is why I do this, I guess, you know, uh, one thing I left out also is that I never, I never knew my dad. I met him a couple times. 
uh, when he died, I showed up to the funeral and everyone was kind of looking at me like, who is this girl? You know? <laughs> and so, you know, after that, um, I did have regrets on, I should have asked him these things. Cause it wasn't until afterward, till I was talking to my half sister that she told me your dad wanted you, you know? So I, I, I grew up my whole life thinking my dad didn't want me, mm. you know, my mom didn't want me because she gave me up for adoption, but I got over that. And so, you know, it's true that you regret the things that you don't do. Mm-hmm. I know it's said so much. It's probably cliche right now, but it's true. So, you know, go for it. <laughs> yeah. If you're, yep. yeah. If you're thinking about doing something or reconnecting with someone or asking questions, do it now. I yep. mean, you only have one life and that other person only has one life and limited yeah. time. Exactly. So, so something that we look at as therapists or trauma therapists is um, when we're doing trauma therapy, we always make sure that it has a few components. So one component is um, meaning making. So at the very end of, let's say somebody tells us their story, right? So like you basically just told me a short, probably shortened version of like your trauma narrative, which mm-hmm. is something that we look for as counselors that um, basically details a lot of traumatic events, right? Mm, yeah. And you kind of put it into a story. Either you write it down or you verbalize it or you write a poem or a song or something, right? And then once you say it enough, it kind of uh, becomes less shocking and less distressing. Yeah. So it sounds like you've experienced that, being able to talk about your story over and over again, but doing it for a good cause, right? Right. Like bringing awareness to the fact that there's kids that are abused and there's a lot of CPS cases open in El Paso. And it's something that um, is really, I don't know if it's like shoved aside in our community or I don't know what is going on, but I think that there's a lot of stigma around that still. Yes. And a lot of mental health stigma. Oh yeah. But anyway, the meaning making thing I think is what you are doing now. So you've talked about how you've turned like the postpartum anxiety that you had into something good. It's like a superpower. You can use it for something good or you can use it for something bad. So it's like, you know what? I'm going to take this and I'm going to use it for good. So how can I help myself, but also help other people? So this is like the meaning making chapter of your narrative. It sounds like. And so it also sounds like your work as an instructor and a nutrition expert, you're, you're showing your resilience that you're like mastering like these traumatic things from your past because not a lot of people can do that I think when people experience trauma um they kind of get stuck there and maybe cannot evolve further than that either without therapy or without self-help or spiritual it it doesn't mean that you have to go to therapy you just have to do something therapeutic something that will get all that stuff out and it sounds like you've done a lot of that and um the byob thing is like one of the meaning making chapters of your narrative and it sounds like the nutrition stuff too coming from somebody who had really severe anorexia right like it sounds like you were able to like find out as much as you possibly could about this area which is you know physiology and nutrition and like well, the mental part of it too well yeah when i was in deep in my anorexia all i did was research calories so you know at that time it was for a bad purpose but now i'm like oh yeah that has this many calories and that has <laughs> so it kind yeah. of helped <laughs> it switched like the, yeah. the reasons you use those things are different yeah 
Uh-huh. And there's this concept also that I think I brought up in the first couple of episodes about being a wounded healer, right? So like a lot of people who go into mental health practice or they are in helping professions, so personal trainers, teachers, doctors, nurses, therapists, social workers have their own past, right? Yeah. And so we're choosing to, I guess, use the past and turn it into something good and helpful and useful and fruitful, not just something that's just going to lay there that we're carrying around the back of our heads, you know? Well, one thing I heard of, and I, this was before I started, because in, in a little bit I'll explain how I tie, I guess, my work and my passion together with, with my volunteer work, is never let your pain go to waste. Ah, interesting. You know, yeah, yeah so if you have some type of pain that's happened to you, you can use that pain, you know, you can, you can use it and to help others, you know, a lot of organizations, you know, the Susan G. Coleman, the St. Jude's, um, there's various other ones where the reason they were funded wasn't because someone was bored and had nothing to do. Mm-hmm. It's because, you know, they lost a loved one or, you know, they had this happen to them or, you know, I believe, uh, um, you know, other organizations, you know, the, the Mothers Against Drunk Driving, mm-hmm. you know, they... I'm pretty sure they're founded upon right. somebody's pain. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what I do now, and, you know, uh, there's this um, motivational speaker that I came across, is, um, and he said, I don't remember, but the reason that, oh, the quote was, was something to the effect of, you know, people don't have to understand your dream because it's your dream. It was given to you. It's not meant for other people to understand. You just have to carry it out. And... My passion is, other than dance, is fitness because, I mean, as as meathead as it sounds, growing up, the gym was there for me. You know, I, I felt physically stronger and maybe mentally stronger. And even even sometimes during my gym sessions, um, you know, I, I, I kind of call upon, I kind of call upon my past hurt to push me through because of child abuse and, and mainly child abuse because uh, with my passion for bodybuilding and and coaching and nutrition and training, I want to get very well known for that. Not only because I am one of the few coaches that do genuinely care for my clients. I do genuinely want to help people get better and, you know, uh, avoid the bullshit that I went through as far as drink this shake or take this pill or just eat less or, you know, do more cardio, which isn't always the answer. And I, you know, I want to get better known for that, of course, you know, so people will come to me, but but the more people know me, mm-hmm. the bigger platform I have to speak about child abuse. So, you know, now, and it's happening, you know, now people are like, oh yeah, I know Amber, you know, and, and I, 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 I don't share it on my, maybe my, my health page, but on my personal page, because I have more fo- followers, because they follow what I do for a living, I share, you know, you know, call this number if you suspect child abuse and, you know, raising awareness against child abuse, come to this event. And so it's happening now, you know, I want it to happen on a bigger scale and it's getting there. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes in the gym, I'll even call upon, um, you know, I remember I was given a necklace and it signified the tears of the children that had been abused. And so I remember sometimes I'll wear that and I, you know, may sound corny, but I'll have like emotional gym sessions where I'm like, you know what? These, these little things are going through a, a, a you know harder time than, than these leg curls or whatever. Like, I can get through these 12 reps. And the stronger I get, you know, the, the, more, the, the, the better a trainer I become, the more I can talk about child abuse. So it kind of, to me, it all 
make comes together again for some people it might not make sense but i mean as, as you know as long as my message gets across to someone helps someone you know yeah. I'm really happy to um, have you on the podcast because I don't know how many people this is going to reach. Like, I'm right. a hobbyist podcast, but if it does make it to a certain person that will, you know, recognize a sign of abuse and interfere and intervene for that one child here in the city or wherever yeah. they are, yeah. then it was worth it, right? Exactly, so, exactly. Um what are some of the things like you talked about telling your grandfather, right? Like you told him and he was like freaking out. So for example, I would advise parents to, you know, be open and ready for whatever discussion happens between you and your child and not freak out like that. Because I think that that kind of reaction is really detrimental. It was in your case. And I treat kids that are physically abused, have a, abuse or neglect history or things like that and I hear it almost every day that maybe somebody didn't believe them or they were afraid of hurting their mom's feelings or something like that and so um I think one thing that people should be prepared for is that if we really want to make an impact in the community related to child abuse you should be ready and open to have that discussion with your kids and not let it be so shocking and maybe coming from a supportive point of view? Well, definitely, you know, always let your child know that they can come to you for anything. You're going to believe them. Even now, I know in my deepest heart of hearts that, you know, who I'm with right now would never hurt my kids. But even I still let them even know, hey, you doing all right? You know, no one's touching you. No, no. Okay, cool. You know, just making sure that, you know, that line of communication is open. And another thing is that this this type of abuse, it, it thrives in secrecy. It's all about secrecy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and shame and guilt and, and, you know, the person feels like it's their fault, you know. So if someone does come to you, I think it's a, a big point to make is to let them know that it's not their fault. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it's a good thing that they told someone. Uh, you know, and, um, I mean, cause that takes guts to dude. tell somebody. <laughs> I think that was the hardest thing I'd yeah. ever done. Yeah. To tell <laughs> and I had somebody. two C-sections. <laughs> right. I heard those are really painful. <laughs> no, no, so, no, no. Okay. Well, I mean, the recovery is like painful. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, no. maybe your I've heard it too. pain is like, <laughs> maybe, you know what? But when the doctor was cutting me open the second time, he was like, Oh, it was all that Zumba. I was like, no, <laughs> no, it was all those weights, but I know what he means, you know, yeah, cause, I know. but yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, the secrecy and, and the fact that it's someone else's problem. It's always someone else's problem until it's your problem, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, if you make it your problem, watch out for it. Share posts, you know, in the times of these electronic ages, you know, if um, I sound so old right there. But, you know, and, and, and with Facebook <laughs> and Instagram, <laughs> nowadays, you know, you youngsters, <laughs> share a post, you know, um, um, just be aware of the signs and, you know, just, I mean, it takes a little bit of an extra effort, but just imagine what happened if you suspected it, you found it and you helped someone, you know, or volunteer, you know, go to these events, even if you don't do anything, but show up to these marches or whatever, you know, at least people know that there's other people supporting them. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Or give, give to your local nonprofits. Give, yeah. <laughs> donate. I mean, um, uh, donate. Donate and volunteer is what we need. Yeah. One really important factor about child abuse and especially sexual abuse and incest is 
the fact that it happens with close family members. Yes. A lot of people are like, oh, stranger danger. We no. got to teach our kids about stranger danger. No, you got to teach them about grooming grooming and the next door like the bedroom next door and like the person that's in there and that could be a potential perpetrator because most of the time statistics show that people who are uncles grandfathers cousins are the perpetrators of abuse and so yeah stranger danger that does happen i've had clients who have been assaulted by strangers but it's so much more rare and i think that it's way more common to hear that family members did it oh yeah um so grooming is uh something that is really problematic uh you want to talk about that well, grooming, from my understanding, is when, you know, say there is some, um, you know, it's usually, I'm, I'm sorry, but mom's, what is it, uh, boyfriend, right, stepdad. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they kind of, you know, they, they try and make themselves welcome and, oh, you know, uh, I your, your kids are awesome. And they try and make themselves close to the family, gain your trust, you know, and, and, and that's part charming. of... They're Yeah, they're very charming and, and uh, you know... I think schools are getting better at it, but when, you know, when they teach kids about bad guys, you know, who, who, you ask a a child, who's a bad guy? Oh, the ugly man, the man with the cape, the man wearing, you know, the, the sweater, the stinky man. And I mean, the man in the big white van that doesn't have windows. Yeah. 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 With candy. (laughs) With candy. It's like, I, (laughs) you know, I'm sure it happens, but for the most part, it's, you know, the one that you wouldn't suspect see changes in your child's behavior like looking back now you know like I said I was a dancer I, I I loved to dance I sold my first painting when I was young 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 you know I painted I did all this and then all of a sudden I just stopped yeah you know uh, so there was a huge shift in the way you were functioning yep. yeah and that it was definitely a warning sign and a form of communication because all behavior especially with children behavior is communication children sometimes don't have the vocabulary to tell somebody that you know what somebody touched my private area or whatever like the technical term but they will have shifts in their behavior so becoming more hyperactive or becoming more hyper vigilant or showing some anxiety a lot of times what happens now is that people or kids get diagnosed with adhd when actually Mm. it's a history of trauma because they're uh their nervous system is just activated all the time. So they can't relax. They can't concentrate. They're always in a fight or flight. Yeah, they're always in fight or flight. So then it's like, oh, well, this kid's like a troublemaker. He has ADHD and we want to give him medication. The medication's not working up because he doesn't have ADHD. You know what I mean? So there's the the signs are really important. So looking at like sudden shifts or changes in your child, in their behavior, in their interests, loss of interest, any changes in sleeping habits, eating habits, bedwetting. Bedwetting. Changes in grades, not yeah, getting when they're old peers, yeah, yeah, things like that. Um, and I don't want to scare people. Like I don't want yeah, people to, yeah. to be like, oh my god, my child's grades dropped from like an eighty five. There must be abuse. Like no, that's not the and, thing. And if if that's something that you are concerned about, if they're old enough, maybe you can take them aside and be like, hey, I just want to check in. You know, I I, I may, maybe they can say they heard you know heard it on a podcast or you know read a book, and so they're like, you know, I just wanted to make sure no one's touching you. And if anyone ever does, calmly, you know, don't panic. If anyone ever does or ever has, please come tell me. You know, mm-hmm. I'll believe you. I'll yeah. believe you. That if, if I had heard that, you know, the first time I believe you, you know, who knows? Who knows what would have been different, but... Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I think um, 
there's different kinds of traumatic events, right? And one of the things that people have to deal with after a traumatic event is something called secondary adversities. So that's where, um, in your story, for example, how you had to move or some family became estranged or uh, your relationships changed with certain family members or um, your grades drop. Those are secondary. It's like the fallout after an earthquake. Mm -hmm. And those things are just as damaging or could be worse. Right. Trauma has such a huge impact on not just an individual, but a whole system. Like the family Mm -hmm. system, the school system. I read somewhere that um, I think the CDC estimated that just for physical childhood abuse, physical, the cost per child to the nation is $210,000 in health care, lost wages, psychiatric care, counseling. All of that stuff is $210,000 for, for, for one, one child. child. Wow. One. So it's definitely preventable. Um, I think educating your children, um, the proper use of sexual terms, sexual education, consent, grooming, all of that's really important. I think a lot of people are scared of that or have a stigma yeah. Um, about it because, and I don't know if it's just in this area in the border region, like Mexican culture and like, oh no, like we don't want to yeah. talk about sex. Like the only sex yeah. talk you get is like, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> you uh-huh. know, like you, uh-huh. you better not get pregnant and that's it. Right. Portate bien. Yeah. And it's like, and that's it. Yeah. But I think it really does need to go further than that, at least, you know, just to prevent some of these things because it can have huge fallout and consequences. And unfortunately, I think that the people that need to hear that probably aren't going to take the time to listen to your podcast. So if the people here, for the people that are listening, if you know someone who, you know, you think their child might be maybe neglected or they're at risk of abuse, you know, if you can, maybe you can be that voice for them, you know, because like I said, unfortunately, a lot of people that are just going to let it happen or ignore the warning signs or don't care to educate themselves on, you know, hey, maybe this person is abusing my child or maybe my child's being abused. They're not, you know, they're not, they're not going to look for the signs because, Right. So, you know, if, if you're someone listening to this, you know, keep, just be aware of the of the signs that we're telling you. If you just have a feeling, you know, good feelings are important. Very important. Yeah. Very important. You know, just keep an eye out. You know, if you can, you know, talk to the parents, uh, you know, hey, you know, how is how has so and so been? They've been OK. You know, I'm. Maybe, you know, if it's that big of a concern, you know, maybe I'm a little concerned about, you know, maybe they're acting a little different or, you know, if you can, you know, if you're like an aunt or something, you know, talk mm-hmm. to the child. So, yeah, that's, you know, got to keep an eye out because. Yeah. And I, I think it takes a community, right, like mm-hmm. to intervene. And so um, I, I know that teachers, uh, doctors, nurses and counselors are what we call mandated reporters. And so we absolutely have to, are required by law to report any, even suspicion of abuse. As long as we do it in good faith, right? Like we're not maliciously trying to get back at somebody. We actually, by law, have to report it. We're mandated reporters. So um, we know that most adults probably aren't mandated, but, um, you know, I think what I'll do is on the podcast link, I'll put um, a clickable link to the DFPS or something yeah. where you can report abuse online. Okay, um, I also have a, so a phone number that. that I can um, give you. 
that anyone can call if they suspect abuse. Yeah, we can we can definitely put that in like the episode description and at the link at the bottom. Okay. So then that way people know what to do um, just in case they suspect that. Okay. I know that you had said that this might be a two-parter, so I'm thinking maybe for the second part or right now up to you, um, we can talk more about the eating disorders. <laughs> so the next part of this episode will be specifically about... Um, disordered eating, eating disorders, and other types of mental illness related to body image and, um, you know, physical things. Yeah, that'll be a good one. Yeah, I think that's going to be a really important one. So thank you so much, Amber, for um, opening up on this podcast. And again, hopefully it reaches the right people or the people that it needs to reach just for... It will. It will. I think so. Mm-hmm. So do you want to go ahead and give your contact information right now also, just in case somebody doesn't go to the next part of the episode? Yeah. So again, my name's Amber Banda. Um, I do, I, I speak at places. So if you want me to go talk about nutrition or something similar to this or training, um, you can, you can uh, reach me, reach out to me for that too. And again, I do nutrition coaching, personal training, group fitness classes. My email is Amber dot nine one five at hotmail.com my uh you can call or text me uh 915-588-3116 on facebook i have a couple of pages there's amber's health coaching and then there's also um my byob page so if you're interested in that it's also a great workout for um pregnant moms uh, and it's open for moms and dads baby wearing that's byob baby wearing workout el paso on facebook Awesome. So I'll post all those links in the episode description so okay. that in case anybody wants to go back and click on it, they can do that. Cool. Um, so thank you to my guest, Amber. Thank you. Um, for coming on to the show through the eyes of a therapist. I'm Crystal and we will talk to you in a little bit for the second half of the um, episode or part two. Part two. Yeah, part two. Dos. Okay. Dos.